Greetings and welcome to Polson Foursquare Church. My name is Pastor Greg Perkins and I'm happy that you've joined us today. This year of 2023, our focus is Together on Mission. In our teaching throughout this year, we will talk much about how we are all called to be a missional church and a missional people. Colossians 4, 2 through 6 are our theme verses that speak about being a people of prayer and of preparedness and how we are to go out and be witnesses to those around us in our everyday life. So today as we study God's word together, I pray the Holy Spirit will speak to you through these messages and pray that you'll be blessed by our podcast teachings and that you'll be edified and enriched in God's word. Thank you and may God bless you all. Chapters of the Bible because it's so packed full of uh, stuff. Just uh, relating to our relationship with God, God setting us free from the law of sin and death. Um, there's no more condemnation, no more shame, no more guilt in Christ Jesus. And uh, he has made a way for us that we can be called children of God. And then he goes on and just uh, the love of God and uh, nothing can separate us from the love of God. So really we're going to spend a little while in this chapter because there's just so much in this chapter. Um, but today we're going to be talking about living as a child of God. And what does that look like? What does it mean to be a child of God? Um, this is such an important subject to understand because that's who God has created us all to be. But a lot of people don't understand that. And so we, you know, if you don't understand that, um, there's uh, something that is within all of us, and that's a, a, an orphan thinking or orphan heart, orphan heart that is, um, can only be displaced uh, the only way to displace an orphan heart or thinking is by the revelation of God's love. That's really the only way that we can do that. And I can't give you the three steps to get there. It has to be something that you receive and you come into an understanding to know, like we sang uh, today about open the eyes of my heart. Open the eyes of our heart, Lord, so that we may know about your love, so that we know what it looks like to be a child of God. And the best place to start is to ask. <laughs> ask God the Father to reveal his love to you, to show what that looks like, and start living and walking in that. So living as a child of God is, is my message today from this chapter. And I, um, you know, before we begin, can we just open with a word of prayer? And I just want to uh, invite the Holy Spirit to minister and speak to us today. If you want to pray this with me, you can. Holy Spirit, I do. I invite you to come and open my eyes. Open the eyes of my heart that I may come to know you and to know more of who you are. Open my spirit and my soul to hear from you today, that I may receive from you and know what it is more today to be a child of God and to live in your love and to be led by you and by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let's, uh, let's open and let's turn in... Romans 8, verse 11, we'll read from that for, um, down to verse 17. It says, And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. 
For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if the spirit who you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received a spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Such a, a rich uh, few verses here really describing uh, that we are all if we receive the Spirit of God in us, in our life, we have believed in who uh, Jesus is, His Son, that died on the cross for my sin. If we've received that, He's declared, and what He's saying here, you have received the Spirit of God, whereby you can be called now children of God, co-heirs with Christ. And so this is such an important um, I don't know if there's really much more important than this, you know, to know this because this will affect everything about you. If you come into a relationship with God to know who he is, and it's not about religion, it's about living in a love relationship with God of the universe that created all things, but yet he still wants a personal one-on-one -on -one relationship. And his, he's so omniscient and, uh, that he's all-knowing. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. But he's also, he makes a way to have, and I don't understand this. How does God, in the expanse of all humanity and all creation, still want a personal relationship with us individually? It's like, that blows our mind, but that's exactly what he's done. So we may have a relationship. And this first point today is really that to know we are transformed into children of God. Now, Paul wrote that the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, and that's really who believe. Now, people, this is a, 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 I would say, a misunderstanding, if you will, that everyone is created to be a child of God. Everyone. But is everybody a child of God? Not yet. In the sense that you are a child of God created to be that, but you really only receive adoption when you have received the sonship or daughtership of God. Through faith, that I put my faith in what he's accomplished for me, then being a child of God is what, because the spirit lives in me. There's people that don't have the spirit of God living in them, so they are not walking as children of God, as they are created to be. Everyone is created to be that, but not everyone in the sense is a child of God in their standing. Does that make sense? And so, all who are being led by the Spirit of God are sons or daughters of God and have received a spirit of adoption that now we have a personal relationship with the Heavenly Father, God the Father, and given this permission, if you will, to have Abba Father, which to a, in the Jewish custom would never have described God in that such a way. You don't call God Abba Father. That's Daddy God. That's like a daddy. That's an intimate relationship a child would have with their, their uh, earthly father. 
You would never describe him God that way. That's, you know, a sacrilegious. That's, you know, you can't describe God that way. But that's exactly what this is saying. We can. We can have that personal God in such a way that he is our Abba Father. That's ex- he said, uh, whereby we can cry Abba Father to God. We receive that adoption. I don't, you know, if you've ever been personally adopted, knows that, that there's that, you know, receiving the love from a uh, non-biological parent can be a challenge for someone like that. And it's because that, that same similar way that we experience that orphan thinking, it's hard to receive love from someone that's not by blood, you know, by that, in that sense that they're not biological. But someone that truly wants to love on this child, then there has to be a place where they finally say, yes, I welcome your love. I welcome your acceptance, your adoption of me into your family. That's exactly what God does with us. He's saying, I adopt you. I I call you my own. You are my child. Will you receive? And sometimes because we're so independent, we're so caught up in, in, in trying to make it, that orphan thinking that we push that away. We're just like, no, I can't, I can't, I can't. I can't receive that love because in some way I'm uncomfortable with love. In some way I haven't been able to open that part of my heart because I've been hurt or been, you know, I wasn't, uh, I was rejected or I was, you know, abandoned. And, and that, that's hard to do, right? You know, that's, I think it's not just one person. I think everyone has a struggle with this at some point or another. And that's why I said we all need to ask God to reveal his love to us. We are transformed into children of God and transformed or changed people transform people. As you are transformed, you transform people. You change people. Because the love of God that's in you, you start to show that. You start to radiate that. You start to be and live as a child of God and co-heir with Christ. And so our assignment has never been about what we can do for God or just the religious do's and don'ts, but what God has already done through us and what then uh, God can do through us. And so you only get to keep what you give away and you can only give what you've received. So as we receive his love, we give it away. It's not meant for us to be like a reservoir. It's not meant for us to be filled up with the Holy Spirit just for, to feel good. It's meant so that you may be empowered to be witnesses, so that you may demonstrate his love wherever you go. How many of you want to be led by the Holy Spirit? You want to be led by the Holy You want to know him more. That's it gets good. You want to understand uh, more what that means. Do you know what that means? Do you know what it means to be led by the Spirit? Um, doesn't mean I get up every morning and say, Holy Spirit, I have no agenda, I have no plans, tell me what I'm supposed to do today. Well, that's a good place to start. I wouldn't you know, say you shouldn't do that. That's actually a very good thing to ask God. Um, but does it mean that? Does it mean I go through my day and ask if I should have a hamburger or should I have chicken for dinner or, you know, Holy Spirit, what do I wear today? Does it mean uh, I should ask him for even the little things? Um, now, some people I've met honestly feel like I need to ask God what I should wear today or what I should, uh, or maybe you should probably, some people should ask what they should wear today. <laughs> 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 
It's like, I don't think God would want you to wear that. <laughs> but, but, uh, um, but, you know, on the big things especially, yes. Should I have a relationship with this person? Should I get married to them? Should I have kids? Should I buy a house or should I rent or buy a new car or truck or something more practical, you know? Or used. I mean, do you ever go into a dealer and ask, what would Jesus want me to drive? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is what I really want, but Jesus, I think Jesus wants me to buy that one. <laughs> you know, uh, yes, I think, especially if you're going through a midlife crisis, that's probably a good thing to ask God before you went and bought your uh, new Corvette. But uh, what does it mean to walk in the spirit and people that are spontaneous, uh, more spontaneous. Maybe that's you. You're like you like to just kind of shoot from the hip and do things like that. Uh, you tend to have an easier time with this. Um, um, then for people that are thinkers and like to plan things out and like to go, you know, I might, and maybe in ten years I'll figure it out. <laughs> I'll just like maybe I'll maybe I'll I'll wait, but. Uh, they tend to rattle things in their heads a little while, and then they respond. But in recent years, I've become much more quick to respond to God, even when I haven't figured it out, because I'm a thinker, I'm a planner, and I like to process things in my mind before I say them. Um, and believe it or not, I, I'm more of an introvert than an extrovert. So after I get done with my sermon, I like to go home and take a nap. <laughs> I just, I like to get away from people, but, but, uh, no, I, I like people, I do, but I just like it for little spurts. <laughs> Can a pastor be that way? Is that okay? Is that okay with you? Uh, but I do, I like to think things through and then be able to say what I, uh, what I processed, but God sometimes doesn't work that way, does he? He says, I want you to respond now. I want you to say this, even though you don't know what you are going to say yet. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> you know, okay. All right, Lord, I'll do that. And, and I love seeing what God can do when I haven't thought it all through yet. That's like the opening the eyes of our heart, Lord. Open my eyes, and so I may respond to you quicker than just how I process everything and have to have all the I's dotted and the T's crossed and do all that. To understand Romans 8 better, you really need to uh, read the book from the beginning, you know, the book of Romans through the beginning, and just, a, uh, you know, even a, a slight review this morning. Romans chapter 7 was Paul saying he can't do it. He can't do it on his own. And I kept doing the, th I keep doing the th same things I don't want to do. Have you ever been there? You know, keep doing the same things. You don't want to do or stinking thinking. Now, the Romans chapter 5, Paul was saying that under the law, I became guilty because of the goal that of the law was to tell me I am, you know, paraphrasing, I am broken and I need a savior. It's not the law that's bad. Actually, the law is good, it said in Romans 7, but obedience to the law is good. That's important. Yes. We need to obey the law. There's a lot of good things in the law, and the law actually points us to our need for Christ, shows us our error, shows us our sin issues. The law was given so that we may have an understanding of knowing what is right from wrong. But the law gives me no power to change. 
The law told me what to do, but it gave me no power to do it. And so the life in the Spirit, that what God did for us, he fulfilled the law. He didn't abolish the law, but he fulfilled the law for us, for our salvation. But we also, it doesn't mean that it's null and void. We can still live uh, in the grace of God. We live in the grace. We're not under the law. We're under God's grace, as we even sang about today. But in love... Number two is that we obey his commandments. In love, in that relationship that we are now transformed into children of God, we, and I want to make that clear, that it's not by religious, it's not by obligation, it's not by um, do's and don'ts, that in love, I want to do what is, I want to do that. Um, Obedience is not measured by our ability to obey the laws and principles. Obedience is measured by our response to God's voice. Living as a child of God requires obedience. Absolutely. It's not just to follow a bunch of religious do's and don'ts, but out of that love relationship, we do obey God and his word and his commands. And John, in the Gospel of John, it says that, you know, in several places, if you say you love God, you will obey his commands. Yeah, it, it will show in evidence in your life. Can't just say that this is, you know, what I do and then be a hypocrite. You will. You'll, you'll follow his commands. That will be evident in your life. Don't clean up all your life to get to God. Come to God and he will clean up your life. And you will start to want to do that. That's the misnomer about people have a, about church and have about God is that I am a terrible person. I'm not, I don't want to be with those do-gooders that go to church. I, I'm, I'm not even close to them. And I'm like, that's the wrong message we're portraying if that's what we require them when they walk through the doors. You know, we, we, uh, we don't check people's sin at the door. Well, you definitely weren't listening to the Holy Spirit when you picked out that outfit. <laughs> but the, we don't do that. We don't check out the, you know, people's sin when they come to church. No. We want to love people as God has loved us. And I've heard some of your stories and your brokenness and how you got to where you are today. And that's awesome. And that's why we love on the broken and we love on the people, no matter what background or we come from and our celebrate recoveries on Monday nights. And I appreciate, you know, the meals that many of you make for that uh, because it's so valuable to love on these people that come here with their hurts, their habits, their hangups, and, and they're messy at times. And I'm like, isn't that what we're supposed to be reaching? We're supposed to be reaching these people and, and uh, loving on them, not just saying that you need to follow this religious steps to get there. Love on these broken people and show Jesus to them. Out of that love relationship with God, we will follow his commands. You will still, you'll want to do that. Now earlier in Romans, Paul said, where the law increased, sin increased. Because how many of you know that with more rules you're given, when you aren't keeping the rules in the first place, you probably won't... Uh, it probably won't stop you from sinning. 
But sin actually often will increase because you gave me rules. I mean, you gave me rules, and so I want to sin more. Um, and what's the result? You become more and more feeling guilty. You live with that constant burden. You can't sin by accident. Now, sin means you know the right thing to do, and you do the opposite. You do the wrong thing. Sin blame game has been happening ever since the first sin with Adam and Eve, right? So what happened with the law? The law was, uh, the law told us or revealed to us that we are broken. We are sinners. And this is what we need to do. This is how we need to behave. This is, uh, this is our protection. The law was given for boundaries for our protection, to keep us safe, to keep us from not dying so at the end of Romans chapter 5, Paul makes a statement about grace, and he says, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. The law requires, but grace empowers. And what he is saying is the deeper you are in sin, the more powerful grace is in your life. Do you know that? The more you sin, the more grace for you. You need a lot of grace. <laughs> um, and what he's saying, you know, so the because there is no sin that can separate you from the love of God, which he finally makes clear later on in chapter 8. So later he finishes in chapter 5 with this, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. It will rescue you. And in chapter 6, then he asks the question, so shall we continue in sin so that we may have a greater grace or increase of grace? And he goes, no, don't be dumb. No, absolutely not. Paul made that clear with this case for grace, but he didn't want us to misunderstand grace. It's not to be uh, misused or abused. He's not saying, go and sin more so you'll have more grace. He's saying, in, in asking in chapter 6, how can dead people sin? No, you can't. You can't sin. If we're crucified with Christ... And I no longer live, but Christ who lives in me in Galatians 2.20. And if we have been buried with Christ, we should also be raised with Christ in the likeness of his resurrection to new life in him. And that's what we celebrate with water baptism, right? Water baptism, I'm baptized, I'm being dead. That dead old person is buried and I'm being resurrected in a new life in Christ. And so that's important. It's important for us to be water baptized for that Visual picture, this is what I've already done inside, and I need to do that. So Paul talked about grace not just to tell us what we need to do, but to give you the power to do it. Romans 6 is also about when we receive Christ, we are now dead to sin and made alive to Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but now revealing to me, God, you've given me grace so that I may live. So now I can live. I can be free and and. You know, he is with you. In chapter 7, Paul says he finds this law at work within him. He wants to do good, but there's this inner battle, this, this wrestling match going on inside me uh, that wants to do good, but, but then I'm still drawn into evil. And I delight in the law of God, but there's another law at work in me waging war and make me a prisoner to the law of sin. And, you know, and so... Who will rescue me from this body uh, of sin and death? Is he's, he's asking. But thanks be to God, he said. 
thanks be to God who has rescued me. God has rescued me from this. So Paul makes this case uh, from chapter 1 to chapter 8. That he has this battle going on within him. But you can't find where he's actually... I'm not saying that he's in this current situation, this current battle, because he makes that statement, oh, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? Then he says, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Uh, he has rescued me. He's rescued me. So Paul had that in a revelation in his life that he needed to come to an understanding of my sin and he's speaking about that, and he's saying his own wrestling match with God that I, I keep doing the same things I don't want to do. Now, do we occasionally do that? Yes, but we don't live there anymore. I often will say that. I don't live in you know, sin. That's not my life. That's not my residence. I don't live there. But we still mess up, but that's not... I don't go back to live in the same old house that I used to live in. I'm like, no, I... I I'm, I'm, I'm living in a relationship with God, living as a child of God now. Why do I want to go back to slavery? Why do I want to return to my, as a dog returns to his vomit and a, and a swine to the pig pen? Why do I want to do that? It seems ludicrous, right? But do we? Have we? Yes. Thanks be to God. And then he starts off Romans 8. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set me free now from the law of sin and death. Set me free. I am free to be a child of God. Then he goes through into verses 11 and 12 that we just read a few minutes ago. That if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in me and gives life to my mortal body because of his Spirit who lives in me... Um, and then we have this obligation not to live by the flesh. Because if you live according to the flesh, it says you will what? Yeah. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, and you will now live. So if you live in grace and led by the Spirit, uh, you don't want to live by just the law of sin and death. You don't want to just live by a religious uh, rules. You are no longer a slave to sin anymore. I'm no longer bound to that. I don't want to put those shackles back on again. So why, why do prisoners that are set free sometimes reoffend? Why do they go back to that when you finally paid your dues, you've already paid for it, now you're given free door to walk out. And sometimes it's because that's what I'm familiar with. That's because my, you know, I've been there so many years now, I've been there so long that I just gravitate towards that and I reoffend. Like, don't! You know, that would be the easy way to say it, just stop it. I like that answer. That's a good one. <laughs> That's why God never called me into counseling. <laughs> Just stop it. Okay, you can pay me an hour now. Uh, <laughs> so, what's that Newhart, Bob Newhart did that stop it video? Just look it up. It's a funny one. Um, 
I don't want to go back to that, that life anymore. And you, yeah, just stop it. Just stop doing that. But I can't, I can't make you want to do that. No one can make you want to do that. It is one that you have to internalize. You have to see that. God, why am I going back to that same garbage? Why am I going back to that, Lord? I don't want to go back to that anymore. I am free from that, and I want to be free. I want to live in that freedom, um, and I don't want to go back to just that law of sin and death because now uh, he went on to say, you did not receive a spirit of a slavery as being a prisoner again, but now adoption. You used to live in fear. That used to be your, your life. That, you used to live in constant fear or that uncomfortableness. I, I, I'm fearful because if I, I let someone else essentially be in charge, I lose my own independence. I lose that right to be myself. I lose that sense of selfishness. I get it. <laughs> I lose that uh, because I'm giving it over to I'm a Lord of my life or, or one that truly loves me. And he's longing for us to say, you know what? If you let me love on you, you let me be your heavenly father and, and give you that adoption as sons and daughters, I will set you free from this battle of trying to think that you need to do it and accomplish it on your own. It's, it's actually a very wonderful thing to experience that. Under the law, you know, uh, uh, under the law, they used to have to take, you know, the sacrifice, a lamb, for example, to the priest every year. They would lay their hands on the lamb and all the family would put their hands and place their hands on the lamb symbolically to transfer your sin as an atonement uh, of your sin upon that lamb while you all held your hand there, while you all watched as the priest would kill the lamb in front of you. Why? Because our sin always requires a punishment or a payment, a price or a ransom to be paid. That sacrifice would be a covering to, set, to cover you from your sin. So that was a graphic picture of my transference of my sin upon that lamb. Um, And sometimes we need a graphic picture like that to know that's what Jesus did as the ultimate sacrificial lamb on the cross for me. He took my sin upon him. It says that he became sin for me, for the world, forever, past, present, and future. He became sin for me so that I might become the righteousness of God. So that his atonement, his ransom, his re, he is my redeemer. He's my ransom. He paid the price because we are all bought with a price, right? How many of you like to watch cop shows and mysteries and all of that? You know, you like, you know, um, those shows always start off with the crime. You watch the crime, you watch, watch the rest of it because it's in our nature to see uh, well, we hope, anyway, punishment for the crime, you know, to be paid. Uh, we want justice. We want the criminal to be found. We want him to be punished. And crime and sin deserves to be punished. You know, that's really the essence of, 
of our, our, our understanding. And th that's what Jesus did for us. He was our sacrificial lamb. He took that punishment that we deserved once and for all. And that's why he was our ransom and he is our redeemer. I don't like movies that actually end on a sorry note. You know, a sorry note that just like, there was no justice. Come on. It's in our nature. We want justice. And he is just. He is a just God. He is a loving God, but he's also a just God. The penalty for your sin has been paid for. When Jesus said, to tell us die, when he said, it is finished, he said, it is paid in full. That's what it would mean. Paid in full. One of his very last words. And we've been set free. We are no longer slaves. You used to be captive to sin in your mortal body, but now you are free. Now you have received that spirit into your life. The old is dead. The wrestling match stopped within you. We don't have to constantly be in this wrestling match. All those who are led by the Spirit are sons and heirs of God. And walking in the Spirit means you give up walking in the law, where your relationship with God was based on duty and rules or a clock or a calendar. But you don't Please the Lord by just keeping the rules. It's not just about trying not to sin anymore. He changes our nature from slaves to sons and helps us to know we have become, uh, we've been created in a place in the Father's heart. That's not that you don't sin. It's just that God changed us from living in our sin nature to now living by the Spirit instead. And Adam and Eve were created without sin. They didn't have a sin nature, but they, all, but they did sin, so can we. But our sin issue is not our identity. That's not your identity. You don't have to wear that scarlet letter constantly saying, I, this is what I am forever and always. This is my sin issue. Rather, our identity is what? Our identity is royalty. As a, as a child of God, as a prince, as a princess. But then, servanthood is my assignment. My assignment, I live in this love relationship with God. He's called me a son or daughter of God, a co-heir with him. And now I serve. My assignment is serving him. And then intimacy with the Father is my life source. It's time to stop using what happened in your past as an excuse for what not, you're not living in the present. Don't let your past dictate your future. We need to remain childlike. And children never dream of being insignificant. I don't know a child that just goes, I'm never going to be anything when I grow up. You know, the, truly a child. And it's only because a child might say that is when they've been, you know, Constantly living under rejection and, and ridicule and, you know, from an adult. But no child would think that way, truly. You only get this life on earth. Why spend it in insignificance? You know, this physical life. But there is an eternal life, obviously. And the farther you go with God, the less you can take with you. <laughs> you don't want to take it with you. I mean, you're, you're, you realize there's more to eternity than there is on this life. 
And the older you get, I hope we all can realize that. You know that, you know what? I want to just live as a as in freedom in, in a relationship with God. And if God asks me to give up my stuff, I, I'm free to do that too. In Ephesians 2:20, it says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And the Greek word for workmanship is pomia. It's where we get the word poem from. We are his poem, or other translations say we are his masterpiece. You know, I've never much, been much of a poem writer. Um, Rose are red, violets are blue, Jill, I love you. You know, <laughs> uh, but uh, we are his masterpiece. You know, his creation, his beautiful work of art. You know, and uh, it's only natural that we are all created for a specific purpose, to do things for God, but it doesn't mean that we work for love, acceptance, or forgiveness, or righteousness. The first time Jesus was led by the Spirit after his baptism, where did it take him? Immediately, that is. It launched him into his ministry, but what did he go to do first? The wilderness, Right? The wilderness, immediately he was taken up and went into the wilderness for 40 days. Uh, the Spirit led him there. He led him into the wilderness to what? To fast and to pray. To spend time uh, with God. But um, that's what he did. Um, but he was led, and I sense the, that to confirm his identity. And to be tested, and he was tested by Satan to, in what? Satan questioned, tried to get him to question his identity the entire time of his wilderness uh, time. And he tries to do that with everyone because God, he always wants to steal the God-created identity that um, we're all given at birth. And he's been doing it ever since trying to steal identity um, and believe a lie of something that we are not, or we are a mistake, or I was supposed to be a boy, or I was supposed to be a girl, or I was supposed to be a different gender than I am. Who was listening when the Father's voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son, whom I love and whom my favor rests? Who was listening? Well, there was a lot of people at Jesus' baptism when he heard that. Jesus heard it. And if you know what that also is very significant, when that, those words are spoken, that's what a bar mitzvah, they would actually speak those words. Or the father figure would speak that over his son. You are my beloved son whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. And they had to memorize the, the Torah. They had to memorize the scriptures. And they would speak that word at a child or 13-year-old's bar mitzvah. Or what is the female version of that? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> but... Uh, this is what they would, they would speak over their child. Jesus heard it, confirming his identity, but guess what? Satan also heard it. Satan also heard it, and, uh, and so he was trying to get Jesus to question who he was. So he said, what was the biggest word that you can see that in his temptations? If you are the Son of God... If you are the son of God. And so that little if he throws in there. 
Maybe it's not so drastic. Maybe it's not so demonstrative. Maybe it's just very subtle. Maybe you're not supposed to be what you're created to be. Maybe this is who you are. Jesus didn't believe it for a second. He knew his identity. It's not if I'm the son of God. I know I'm the son of God. The first Christian, you know, he said, if you're the son of God, and he said, prove it, do something, work for it. What was Satan trying to get Jesus to do? He was trying to get him under the curse. What was the curse? The curse is working for our identity rather than living from your identity, your God-created identity. You're doing the same thing Paul described. Oh, wretched man, I am. Why? Because I try to live under the law, then under the grace, by the Spirit. I'm still living in this uh, orphan heart. And Satan was trying to get Jesus under that same curse, that same spell, if you will. And that spell is to work for God's approval. Work, work, work. I gotta try to get God to love me. I gotta get, maybe we don't even think of it that, that way, but that is exactly what we're trying to do. It's an attempt to work for righteousness. If we're not working for, for God's love, we're trying to work for someone else's love and affection. It's an attempt to work for righteousness or trying to work to be made right. And often, how do you know you're walking in the Spirit is when you have a wilderness experience, as we all probably do, and your identity is being tested, and you come out the other side victorious. I did. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. I went through that. Not that God causes uh, temptation, but he does. there are testing that God gives us. God calls things that are not as though they are. And when you receive it, you receive the grace uh, to be able to do what you didn't do before. Usually when God calls you, it's, it's really God. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be bigger than yourself. You know it's God if it's bigger than yourself and your own abilities. It takes faith. Because <laughs> you can't do it on your own. And so God calls you to something and he says, you can't possibly do that on your own. And there's been a lot of things in my life I'm like, What? in the world. I, you know, I tried to even run from God's call in my life to be a pastor. I, I tried other things. You know, I'm like, oh, maybe I'm not supposed to be a pastor. Maybe I'm supposed to do this. And so I did. And God turned that around for good too. Because when I was, I knew God called me to go into ministry. I, I said, maybe I'm just going to try plumbing. You know, I'll try plumbing and and then maybe I'll try medical stuff because I've always wanted to be a firefighter, paramedic. And, you know, I, I like that, that. I'm drawn to that. And the funny thing is, God didn't want that to be my primary career. But guess what? I probably fixed some of your toilets in the church before. I have, and I continue to do. I keep my toolbox with me to do plumbing for people all the time because, you know, God had a purpose, a funny way of doing that. But I do that, and, and I also work on the ambulance in, in uh, EMS today and volunteer firefighter. Yeah, pray for that fire that just started in Ronan uh, last night, too. Um, if you know, knew that, there was a lightning strike last night that woke me up because my pager went off. But in Jesus' name, put that fire out, Lord. In Jesus' name. Um, but yeah. God has a funny way to do things. Even when we turn and go a different direction, he goes, you know what? That wasn't what I necessarily had intended for you, but I'm going to use it for good. And he does that. And so 
living in that identity, God calls things, calls you to live by faith. You just can't do it. You can say, God, I can't do this like Moses. You can say, God, I, please don't call me to Africa. Please don't do that. Uh, and when you think you can, you can't. But when you can't, you're in a better place of readiness. Probably in a better place of readiness when you say, God, I can't. But I trust you that you have all things provided for me. You will take care of this. Humility and reliance on God is crucial in that. 1 John 4, 4 says, Little children, you are from God and have defeated and overcome them because he who lives in you is greater than he who is in the world. People have so many fears, have so many phobias that we can spend all day naming them and probably never run out of them, but many believers have the same fears everyone else has, even though the Bible tells us many times not to be afraid. Don't be afraid. 1 John 4.4 is a powerful verse about fear, against fear, and it assures us that because of the presence and the power of Almighty God within us, within you, we do not need to be afraid of anything. But that's still coming under that revelation of God the Father. The more I become in, in that intimate relationship with God and my identity, my royalty, he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He owns everything. He will provide for me. He will take me through this even though I'm going through a test and assures me of his presence. When you begin to feel afraid, 1 John 4, 4 is a great verse to read aloud. You can even say to Satan, you know, say it out loud. I don't have to be afraid of you because God's word says I've already defeated you through my relationship with Jesus. God is greater than you are and he is on my side. Do you know that the Bible means when it says you and I are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus, that is true? That's later on in Romans 8. And I believe it means we do not have to live in fear. I do not need to live and I am victorious. Before a battle begins, we already have been told we will win it. We know the outcome and we can enter into God's rest knowing we will come out through it victoriously more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. And we may not like having to go through battles. We might not like having to go through wilderness. Resisting fear may not be easy, but we can be encouraged knowing that whatever the enemy ha means for our harm, God intends for our good, just like Joseph in Joseph, uh, Genesis 50, verse 20. If God is on our side and if we are on his side, in the end, everything's going to work. For our good, because whoever is in the Lord is on the winning side. Just like that Elisha and his servant I mentioned. The goal is to beat the devil in the wilderness so you don't have to deal with them with the people. You're not going to be tested to be beaten down, but so that you can win and live in that victory. And I want to give you just several, what are some several tests of walking in the Spirit? First is the test of walking in the Spirit is that you live in His grace. I'm living in His grace, and I know that. I'm learning to understand more what that looks like, living in His grace. Another one is a, a second test of walking in the Spirit is that you've passed through some type of test. I've walked through it, I've lived in His grace, and I think I've gone through some stuff. 
I think I've been through it, and I've matured through it. I've, I've learned. I've grown in this. So when it happen, anything happens again, I can be reminded. I can go, you know what? You did it before, and you're going to do it again. The third test is to know that you will be led by the Spirit is the Spirit comforts you. He does. He comforts you. And lastly, the victory is already in Jesus. The victory is already in Jesus. Yeah. God has already won the victory, right? The battle belongs to the Lord. That's a, that's a powerful verse, a powerful song that we sing. The battle belongs to the Lord. He's already won for our salvation, for our healing. The only time the Holy Spirit will lead you into conflict is when he's already, the one he's already prepared you to win. You know you are being led by the Spirit because he will comfort you, and if you do something wrong, you also feel convicted about it. When we do mess up, we get convicted. You'll know you are not being led by the Spirit, on the other hand, if you do something wrong and it doesn't bother you. Like, eh, I'm, I'm okay to keep doing this. It's called what later continuing to live in that, continuing to go down that downward spiral, I had depraved mind that leads you in all kinds of sorts of things that are ungodly. But if you're doing something wrong and you have 14 reasons why it's okay, if you say, I love Jesus and that's all that matters, you might be spiritual, you might be a spiritual person, but it's not the Holy Spirit because the one thing the Holy Spirit does is he convicts us of our sin. He goes, Stop it. <laughs> and one of the best things that can happen in your life and mine is when I am convicted. I go, I got it. That's the love that he gives us. God loves you too much to have you continue going down that way. That your sin will eventually find you out if you keep it hidden, right? It will. My kids got tired of me telling them that scripture. But conviction is always better than numbness. Numbness means that you become calloused to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. You become hardened to it. I don't feel anymore. Unbelief is, I guess you could say it's safe because it takes no risk and almost gets what it expects. But when you are really spiritually mature is when you get convicted, when you have a thought or a bad attitude and you Get it right before you sin. No. Or that lie of the enemy that wants to lead you into that temptation and commit a sin. You go, get out of here in the name of Jesus. Say, no, I'm not going to believe that lie. And you get rid of it. You cast it away. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. But it says before that, uh, submit then to God, it says in James. Then resist the devil and flee with you from you, because it is not in your own power. As you remember the uh, Ephesians chapter six, the armor of God, it said, "Take a stand in the Lord and in whose power? Not your own. Why do, who do you think you are? Remember, you're a child of God. I need God. Take a stand in the Lord and in His mighty power. Then take up the shield of faith, helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit. Yeah." Remind yourself, it is in the Lord's power, never your own. And if you're being convicted, you know, when your attitude stinks, uh, great. <laughs> if you're not, 
You're not. <laughs> How many of you want to be led by the Spirit? You still want to be led by the Spirit? Good. How many sometimes feel guilty about things that are under the blood of Jesus, but the enemy keeps accusing you? How many of you are going through a test that you thought was the devil, but it actually might have been God? Are you living as a child of God, or are you still dealing with an orphan thinking or a slavery to fear? If you're not living in freedom, or even, I would say, having fun in your walk with Jesus, you may need to back up and find out where you got off the path and where you left Jesus. So today is a moment to make things right. It might be a day to come back to where you left Jesus in the path, and it's the narrow road, not the wide road. So today is a moment to make things right and come back. And repentance means asking God to change the way you think, turning from it, 180 degrees, turning from it, and coming near to God. God changed the way we think. God has made a way who, for you and me to live in freedom and not in slavery. He's, he has the victory. And I hope you can see that the Spirit of God lives in you who believe. Start living in that freedom. Start living in that. But it takes your personal choice to say, God, I submit to that. I allow you to have your way in me. And I stop, stop this wrestling match that I'm, because I'm still battling with the old sinful nature. If you want to walk in the Spirit, you just come near to God, and he will come near to you. God, we thank you for your word today. Thank you for this important reminder about what it is to live as a child of God. God, that we would be, as you draw us in your love, God, that we would welcome that. I would welcome that with, with my heart, with my arms open wide, God. Just maybe like the prodigal son that, that just finally came to his senses and said, I come back to you, Lord. Or perhaps I might be even the son who stayed home and was trying to do religious things, trying to get everything right. I've always tried to live right, but even that son missed the father's love. Whether it be rebellious or even just trying to do things right, may we have even a greater revelation of who you are as our loving father that draws us to yourself, set us free from the law of sin and death and slavery now into adoption that we can have a relationship with you, an intimate relationship with you that I can totally relate to you now as my Abba Father, my personal God that loves me. And out of that love, I can be transformed. And as I receive your love, I give it away. May that be for all of us today, Lord. If we are feeling convicted today, then we just repent, we turn from that, Lord. I confess if I've been not walking with you, Lord, and I want to get right with you, I want to start walking in the Spirit and get back to where I need to be today. And Lord, I call upon you. And even if someone has never given their life to Jesus, today is a moment we can say yes to you, Lord, and let you come inside us. Live inside me. Make me a child of God today. I call on you, and that's as simple as it is. I confess my sin and and thank you for the covering, the blood of Jesus that washes me and cleanses me and heals me as well. In body and soul and in spirit, I receive that adoption 
and your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey guys, Billy here. I'm the media director here at Pulse and Foursquare, and I'm glad that you guys could join us this morning. If you guys are looking for more information, you guys can go to pulsonfoursquare.org. And if you guys enjoyed the sermon, consider subscribing or sharing it with a friend. Thanks for joining us this morning, and we hope that you have a blessed week.